Welcome to the Consumer Rundown Podcast, your destination for the people, companies, and trends transforming today's consumer markets. We are your hosts. I'm Penny. And I'm Dimitri. On today's episode, we're talking to Jake DeLeon, the founder of Philomanila. Philomanila is a Filipino-American food company that sells a line of authentic Filipino sauces, spreads, and condiments. We talk about Jake's founding story and his transition from working at Starbucks and P&G to launching Philomanila. Jake, thank you so much for being here with us today. Can you please start by introducing Phila Manila in your own words and tell us a little bit about why you created it? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you, Panin Dimitri, for having me. It's always an honor to be a guest on these podcasts, so thank you. Why I started Phila Manila was this idea of representation, adding representation in a white space in the market. I am a first-generation Filipino-American immigrant, and my opening joke is that in my case, that means I was born in the Philippines and raised in the exotic land of New Jersey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I've been in the food industry since even like as a toddler. I used to help my mom make delicacies in our kitchen. We would just resell to friends and family to bring in extra revenue for our family. Now, we didn't have a lot of money growing up as an immigrant family, but I ended up working in food as kind of like an ironic twist of life. I worked for big food companies like Procter & Gamble and Starbucks. But then with most crazy people who are entrepreneurs, you know, I had this itch and this bug in me to create something on my own. So I left that world behind. And then I started uh, my first startup, which was an, an almond beverage company, an almond milk. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I, it's wild. So, I mean, I started that table at our farmer's market in Collingswood, New Jersey. And I remember I started that with about 600 bucks. And then I grew that from there to distribution with Whole Foods, with Walmart, and then even Kraft Heinz is one of our earliest investors in the company. We were doing pretty well until I would say March of 2020, because that's when the pandemic happened. And a lot of our revenue was tied to store traffic. So once that traffic went away, our revenues declined at upwards of 80% over three weeks. It was a terrible time, obviously, but I look back at that period with full gratitude. And I usually say for three reasons. The first reason is that we were refrigerated, so we sold off all of our products, actually. I mean, there was no inventory hit at all. Number two, I had friends who had businesses 20 times larger than my own lost everything overnight, right? During wow. the and the last part is like, I didn't get sick. My parents didn't get sick. The ones I loved didn't get sick. So it's hard to feel sorry for yourself when the whole world is not in a very good shape at that moment in time. I believe everything happens for a reason. And if that didn't happen, the founding story of Phila Manila would not have occurred. And the founding story is this, you know, during April and May of 2020, during that dark period, I saw a news article that talked about in some areas of the U.S., upwards of 20% of the healthcare workforce fighting the front lines of COVID were Filipino. Turned a light bulb on me. It inspired me to do more research on my community. We're the second largest Asian American U.S., the largest in 11 states, including California. But I come from CPG. And then so my mind goes, if this is true, why is it when I go to the Whole Foods, uh, the Wegmans, the Targets, the Walmarts, the Public, the Kroger's of the world, there's actually no Filipino food represented at all on the shelf. I mean, one would have to go to the Asian grocery store. It's like in the dusty corner, these MSG packets, and that's the experience of Filipino food. And so that you do simple search on Google Trends, the interest in Filipino food is at an all-time high, bubblings of like Filipino being the next wave of cuisine is being showcased in New York Times and Forbes by David Chang. And I figured this would be the perfect time to start the first Filipino-American food brand. And thus, Phila Manila was born. What we're doing at Phila Manila is to finally add modern representation of authentic Filipino flavor, just to 
showcase America how amazing our cuisine has been. It's been under the radar for so long, but it's time for it to be in the spotlight. That's amazing. And I'm glad you mentioned this because I don't think a lot of people know this, but Filipinos are the second largest Asian American community in the U.S. in terms of population. But to your point, when we go to the supermarket, when we go to Asian restaurants, or even when we look in the media in terms of Asian representation, is heavily underrepresented. Why do you think that has been the case? That's a really good question, Penny. I was one of the contestants at Expo East Pitch Slam 2021, right? I won. Spoiler alert. I won. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the reason I bring that up is that that was actually the same exact question by one of the judges. Jake, if Filipino food is a thing, why have I not seen it at all? Like, where, where is it? I paused because it's a good question. I was like, I never thought. But then like, I collected myself. And I think for the longest time, our cuisine has always been communal. Every weekend, we have our family over. We have our friends over. We make our own Filipino food. And that's how we yeah. enjoy it. It's never been enjoyed in a restaurant just because we mm. eat it so much at home. It's just it's kind of like what we do. But I would say that with the rise of social media and the rapid exposure of different foods on the internet and accelerated by COVID, obviously, people are starting to get more excited and start to learn more about global flavors and Filipino and food and, and kind of the, the key flavors we have in there is part of that wave. For people not familiar with Filipino food, What's the difference between Filipino food and other Asian cuisines, such as Chinese, Japanese, or Korean? What makes it stand out? Another excellent question. And I would say that Filipino food is quite different than the other cuisines you mentioned, because similar to the U.S., we're almost like a hodgepodge of different East Asian, South Asian, and like Chinese cuisines. So the best way I describe Filipino cuisine flavors to someone who's not familiar with it is that we take very common ingredients, like Asian ingredients, even the Western ingredients. But the way we combine these ingredients and flavors provides a very unique flavor experience that's very synonymous with our cuisine. Yeah, So I'll give you an example. One of our best sellers is Filipino adobo. Like everyone knows mm-hmm. adobo. Yep. But if you break down adobo, I mean, the ingredients are like soy sauce. Soy sauce is from China. Vinegar. Then you have garlic, onion, and spices. You have bay leaf. You know, so a lot of these really interesting Asian and Western flavors combine into like this really unique adobo, which is like a sweet, sour, salty experience that's uniquely Filipino. When you were creating the brand and thinking about the products, was the intention to target primarily a Filipino or an Asian consumer or to go more broadly? This is a really good example as well of something we've learned along the way, like an insight that shaped how we market Filipino. So when I first started the company, I thought our first, our consumers would be folks like me, first and second generation Asian American who are familiar yeah. with the cuisine. But we launched on Amazon FBA in 2021, and then we immediately became a number one seller. So our adobo sauce outsold Goya, outsold McCormick, outsold mm. Mamacita, which is the world's largest Filipino brand based in the Philippines. Wow. And I'm like, how on earth did this happen? So I actually emailed 50 of our customers on Amazon. I'm like, I'm Jake. I'm the founder. Help me out here. Who are you? And why are you buying my $13 jar of sauce? Because it's not normal, right? It's weird. Like who buys a $13 jar of sauce on Amazon? (laughs) So nine out of the 10 responses came back something like this. The story was something like this. You know, hi, Jake. I'm not Filipino. You know, I'm black. I'm white. I'm Hispanic. I'm from Nevada. I'm from Florida. I'm from uh, Washington. But I used to have a roommate who's Filipino. I used to have a coworker who's Filipino. My girlfriend, my boyfriend used to be Filipino. And their family made the most amazing food. 
And that's how I came to know about the cuisine. And that was like a light bulb moment for us. So what we learned is that, you know, the nine out of 10 are not Filipino, but it's that one out of 10, the Filipino American community, 5.5 million strong, they are our cheerleaders. They are our advocates. They're the ones who is educating the rest of the folks around them about how amazing Filipino food is, and they do it in their own way. I love that people, once they get that exposure, they try how good the food is, they're wanting to get more, right? And they've been waiting for your sauce to come along as the way to do that, because they don't see it at the store. And it's probably hard to make and it's probably made with ingredients that they don't really know about or even know where to get. So that's really cool. For some consumers, these flavors are very familiar, whether it's adobo or banana ketchup. But for other consumers, these are very unfamiliar flavors. How much education do you have to do about the flavors in general? That question today has a very different answer than that question 10 years ago. Right? So that question today, it's that if someone stumbles upon it online, they're wondering what Filipino adobo is, what would you do? You just do a Google search and then you'll sure, see like right. a ton of these beautiful food porn photos mm. of Filipino food. But what's interesting is that on the shelf, that's a very different scenario. So on the shelf, how do you educate consumers what the flavors are? So we say Filipino adobo. But one thing I learned from my time at CPG is that you can start off with something quite unique, like the flavor name and concept, but you have to be a bit literal in how you describe the flavor. Someone who is not familiar with it, and they take a look at the, the package, and then they read the description, like, oh, I know soy sauce, I know vinegar, I know garlic and onion. So it's mm. not going to be a, a surprise, right? They, they can kind of imagine the flavors. And so it's kind of driving that, at least that familiarity before they try, gives them a little bit more ease before sampling something that They don't know the name. They don't know the ingredients. They don't know the flavor. They don't know what it looks like. That makes sense. Looking ahead, right now you're the category leader. Do you worry about other competitors entering the space because they see the same opportunity as you did? According to Spins, we have 96% market share in the fastest growing cuisine in the U.S., which is Filipino. So in less than two years of launch, we're number one brand nationally. And so that's, which is amazing. It's unprecedented yeah, by, by all men. Yeah. yeah. And then, but to answer Dimitri's question, no, I actually welcome competition. And so I think the addition of competition in the market is that it helps us blanket the country and the market with more education. I, I love that Filipino is introducing Filipino cuisine. I think it's in some parts of the U.S., we are essentially defining what the cuisine is because it's the first time people experience the food. But if you have other folks that come in and kind of help you with that journey, I think a rising tide lifts all boats, as they say. Broadly speaking, there's been significant interest from consumers and investors for Asian-inspired flavor food and and beverage products, which has been great to see. Some examples to know are Fly by Jing and Imi and um, Xiao Chujie and Momofuku Goods. What does that say to you about the direction of food and beverage market and how do you think about all these asian inspired brands competing in this space yeah it's a fascinating thought and one thing that i'm super excited about is kind of this evolution of what global flavor is right so a lot of the brands you mentioned you think about the commonalities i think what we've seen a few years ago is that you know this idea of asian inspired flavors as you just described it penny right asian inspired flavors like what does that mean So Asia is like 50 cultures and 50 countries. True, yeah. I think the direction of where the market is going, as evidenced by some of the success we've been seeing, is this idea of granularity. Asia-inspired flavors is kind of like a good evolution. Then this Mm -hmm. next evolution is granularity. 
fly by Jing when Jing positions her sauce. Is it Asian inspired chili crisp? No, it's a Sichuan chili crisp, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you think about XCJ, it's like very specific kind of dishes, very specific flavors and regions. And I think that's where the industry is going. And for Philip Manila, I never say the word Asian inspired. We are specifically Filipino American cuisine. I really like that, and I'm so glad to be in a time where we could drill down and go deeper, and for people to understand not just the broader Asian culture, but actually understand the nuances that exist within Asian culture too. I'm Chinese, so I know Chinese food, but just think about like Chinese food. There's so much, right? And there's some that the West now know more about, like dim sum, like. Noodles to some extent, and like Sichuan food, but there's like so many other ones that have not really made it to mainstream culture here. And I'm sure in Filipino food too, everybody knows like adobo and you know garlic fried rice and whatnot. But I'm sure there's a ton of things that we just don't even really know about. I'm excited to get more knowledge of that in the mainstream and explore all these other cuisines that have not become popular yet. One hundred percent. There's so many Cambodian cuisine, even、yeah. like some of the regions, like Northern Thailand cuisine is very、right. different than Southern Thailand. But it's it's really interesting. Building on that point, I see two challenges. Challenge number one is building relationships with distributors and with buyers to get into the stores. But challenge number two is, once you're in the stores, are you being placed in high traffic areas or low traffic areas? How do you think about that? Yeah, it's a really tricky question because I was actually on a call with a group of founders this morning. A side note: I founded a trade organization called Founders Heritage. Basically, it's a community of founders within Global Flavors. Yeah, so oh nice. Yeah,、uh, you can visit us at foundersheritage.org. You know, we were talking about this idea of should one of our long-term goals be to convince retailers to consolidate, quote unquote, Global Flavors or ethnic into the mainstream set, right? So. You know, just to introduce more people to it, have more traffic to that part of the store, and no longer have that differentiation. Hopefully, we can get to that point. I think what it'll take is probably at least one or two major retailers to test it out, and then both of you know, if the retailer sees success, of course, the other retailers would follow because it's just kind of like following the data and category. But I think it'll take time. I think it's just a matter of time before it eventually happens. But you know, hopefully, we can find an ally of a retailer that can test. Shifting gears a bit. You mentioned your background in the food industry. I'm curious about the pivotal moment that led you to transition from working for companies like P&G and Starbucks to becoming an entrepreneur. Could you share the process behind your decision and the key factors that influenced your switch? I love this question because I get asked this a lot because I worked at these big companies, P&G, and then most recently at Starbucks. And Starbucks, I think. By any standards, I thought I had the dream job at Starbucks. So I was actually based in Hong Kong. I was、right. in charge of Starbucks white space strategy and category. So, for example, my team opened up the first Starbucks in Vietnam, and then we were we were supporting the Starbucks expansion in China. I was flying around drinking coffee, and <laughs> it's like who doesn't enjoy that?、Right? Just going from one Starbucks to another. Yeah. Oh, I don't mind. Like they used to used to tease me. Like I would go to all the countries, and for breakfast I would go to Starbucks. Like, Jake, why are you going to Starbucks for breakfast? Like, I like Starbucks. Like, leave me alone. But I think the inflection point for me was, you know, deep down inside, I always had an entrepreneurial kind of DNA. Like, even as a kid, I would sell candy, right? Kind of like that, like most people、yeah. do. 
but it was uh, difficult because like you you never know when you're ready. You never know when mm. you want to leave this world of comfort behind with corporate or, you know, something stable or something, you know, like that and something risky as entrepreneurship. But I had a good chat with one of my mentors during that time. And, you know, we, the key theme of that chat was risk versus regret. So what I mean by that is balancing these two, these two points, and that will help you decide whether or not it's, it's the right fit for you. So the idea of risk is that, yeah, Jake, you leave your corporate world, you start your company, you have a very high likelihood of failing, you're going to lose all your money, it's going to be super embarrassing. And then you have to come back with your tail tucked between your legs and say that you failed as an entrepreneur. That's the risk, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, but counterbalance that with this idea of regret. The regret is that you continue in your corporate journey, you, you do well, you make money. And then when you when you're much, much older, and then you look back and like, man, I wish I did that. I wish I did that. I took a shot. That's the idea of regret. And so that it was that element, at least for me, that was scarier. I didn't want to say that I missed out on something because I didn't want to take the risk. And so that was uh, what compelled me. But it's, it's different. Everyone has their own journey. Everyone has their own circumstance. But like I say, for entrepreneurship, it was, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Definitely. Food and beverages companies we know are, are really expensive and difficult to start. How did you approach the early stages of product development and manufacturing? Did you rely on knowledge and contacts from your time in food and beverage to help kickstart that? I would say no one is ever fully prepared for entrepreneurship. Of course, being in the world of CPG and food helped quite a bit, right? Just helping to understand cost of goods, how you calculate that, know where to focus specific resources of your time and energy and which areas to kind of figure out before you launch something. By all means, that helps. That said, once you're in the marketplace as an entrepreneur, I mean, there's a lot of it is very gritty, like working with individual store managers, right? Like battling co-packers trying to get their attention trying to raise money, right? When there's a lot of folks who might might be smarter than you, have better connections than you. So I think part of the CPG training helped, but there's a lot of being a successful entrepreneur that that connects to like these special traits that you can't learn. Now, I always say that if you look at some of the most successful founders and entrepreneurs in our space, many of them did not come from CPG, right? Many of them mm. are just real gritty entrepreneurs, really good at sales, good at relationships, really good at innovation. And so it just depends on the individual. I think what was working in our benefit for Philip Manila is that there was some knowledge of Filipino cuisine on the shelf. So when we approached, for example, our first buyer at a retailer, I emailed them. I'm like, hey, I used to do this almond milk. Now I have these Filipino sauces. Like, what do you think? And then they emailed me 30 minutes later. And it's like, Jake, We've been waiting for someone to do Filipino food for 10 years. Like we'll take, <laughs> oh we'll take the, we'll take the entire lineup. So a lot of it is a lot of knowledge already. It's not completely starting from scratch. That's a great story. When you hear that positive feedback, does it give you the confidence to keep going that, you know, you found something that can scale, can grow really quickly? It definitely gave a little bit of more confidence, right? Maybe this is something that's, that's really lacking in the marketplace. If this buyer who sees like 50 inbounds a day of brands pitching. And this is the one he replies within 30 minutes. There might be something to this. So it's definitely a boost of confidence at that time. I can imagine. When you were talking, it made me think too, do you feel like Filipino founders are underrepresented in general, not just in food and that, but just in general, 
And I wonder if part of that is cultural to some extent too, because as Asians, we tend to be less risk-seeking. We're told to just get your stable career. And it just made me think, like, I wonder if that's also cultural too, that as an Asian, part of the way that we're raised is to not take as much risk sometimes. It's a really interesting insight. And I would say for many Asian cultures, that's true. But, you know, specifically within CPG, I would argue too that actually a lot of Asian Americans are in the food business. But, you know, think about the food business, their food business could be retail food, like food truck, restaurant, Mm. farmer's market thing, uh, you know, making something at home and selling it like that. If you look specifically within CPG, there's not a lot. I definitely agree. There's obviously a few handful prominent ones, but Overall, compared to others, like I would say less Asian Americans in CPG. And I think at least for the world of Filipino, it's it's such a different beast is that people would have a very difficult time. It's very expensive and a very difficult time understanding that business. So if I were to make ube cupcakes at home and sell one ube cupcake for $3 and and make 36 bucks in a dozen, that's different than ube cupcake. Now I have to work with you in a fine kehi. Now I have to work with trade spend with Whole Foods and Kroger. It's a very different beast. Very, very different. And so I think the there's least barrier to entry when it comes to the food service route. And I think maybe that's why. Maybe it's not just limited to Asian Americans as well. Yeah. When there's not a lot of folks in CPG. That's a great point. The barrier to entry isn't just around your tolerance to risk, a lot of it is around capital, food and bev. Uh, Companies are just very expensive to start and around information, right? To your point, like people have a better idea, like this is what it takes to open a restaurant, to have a food truck. But if I want to get into retailers, if I want to do DTC and I don't see as many people around me doing that, I probably, I don't even know how that would work. How has the fundraising process been for you? I'll tell you how I started Filamanilla. I actually funded the first prototypes using my stimulus check. I just bought some stuff on Amazon and I bought a few labels online and I made it myself. And I always like to joke too, is that that was kind of like the immigrant version of pre-revenue institutional funding, right? Was (laughs) a stimulus check from the government. It's, it was like, it, it's definitely not easy in the beginning or even now. We had a, so much trouble trying to raise money in our earlier stages, which is not specific because of the Filipino, but I think every food startup has yeah. that issue. But we got very fortunate because we joined an accelerator in Austin. They were in a tech accelerator, but mm-hmm. they gave us the first round of VC funding and they doubled it because we performed quite well. Um, and then we took that leverage to raise money from other folks. But when I talk to other founders who are raising money is that there's actually a lot of capital out there. And I know there's a lot of rejections. Of course, I've gotten that myself. Right. I think the key is, is that trying to find the folks with the capital that who jive and who believe in, in what you're trying to do and who believe in you. Some of our earliest checks in were, were from folks in VC. We are too young for their fun. For example, one of them, their wife is Filipino and their kids were Filipino. So it's yeah. like, Jake, I get it. You know, I don't need samples. How much do you need? Another one of our earliest VC investors, an angel investor, you know, she happens to be half Filipino. So she's like, Jake, I understand. You just have to do that extra work to find out mm. who are the folks that really resonate with your mission and what you're trying to do. And then it's less barrier of entry or less barriers to get the investment or to get that partnership. That's great. What advice would you give to other founders who are starting out in food? There's like a good hard advice and soft advice. So hard advice is, I I would say that 
choose a category, choose a product that, number one, that you really resonate with, that you really believe in, not because you see a business opportunity, but it's something that really speaks to you. Because as a founder, you're operating from your heart, right? You're being fueled by your own your own energy, your own excitement to bring this to life in the market. And obviously, as you choose that product and category, be mindful of some of the pitfalls, the pros and cons that come with specific categories. So Selling a shelf-stable, center-of-the-store product is very different than selling a refrigerated single-serve beverage, right? That, you know, As you know, there's a lot of kind of issues that go along with that. So make sure you understand that in the beginning before you choose which path you want to go. I would say the other part of it, the soft recommendation is don't make it too hard on yourself by comparing yourself to what you see in the industry. Starting a food business, starting any business is very, very difficult. And so yeah. I think some early founders, they see what's happening. It's what's being reported on LinkedIn or something like that. And they, they think it's, oh, wow, you just do this. You could right. raise 1 million pre-money. Yeah. You get a TikToker on board and you exit for 300 million in two years, right? That's how it works. Um, but it's not. Right. And so, you know, when you're looking and as you're building this and as you're going through those difficult stages of getting off the ground and scaling it, you really just have to compete against yourself. Just to really focus on what your mission is, focus on what makes your product unique and special and just focus on selling to your core customer rather than being distracted by what the market and what external sources are kind of like telling you. Yeah, that's so true because for every one of those posts, there are like a hundred thousand other ones that didn't make it there. So <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. But but those are difficult to share. You'll never find those too many of those stories on LinkedIn, right? Right. I want to go back to a point that you brought up earlier. We know that long-term to be successful, you have to build a connection between the brand and the consumer. How do you approach that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. If I look at Phil Manila and I look at what are the key pillars to success and the key pillars of building an iconic brand, one of them is building and engaging with the community. It's really connecting with that community and staying connected and engaged with them even as we scale up. So some of the thoughts we had on this as a team is, yeah, of course, we have social media, we have TikTok, but I think there are things that we can do in partnerships at more of a ground level. So for example, can we partner with Filipino or API nonprofits in select cities and kind of do grassroots community, right, to help educate or even just get back to the community? Could we work together with Filipino chefs and Filipino restaurants, right? Because we're all trying to uplift Filipino cuisine. Let's work on it together. And that's kind of a community issue, uh, community uh, initiative as well, right? So, yeah. you know, if a, if a Filipino restaurant serves Filipino banana ketchup, that's a great way just to get everyone excited, right? So there's a lot of things we could do, but it's not easy because it's very grassroots. Like I think there's much more one can do for community rather than just doing social media or Instagram blasts. What's your long-term vision for Filipino? and the Filipino food category in general? Yeah, so our long-term vision of Filipino is to represent the next generation of Filipino-American flavors. Our wish list is down the road is that we want to expose how amazing and delicious our food is to everyone in this. Like everyone who's never tried it before, everyone who has tried it before, but you know, who can experience finally ours and finally enjoy kind of these meals because it's made for them, like it's relevant to them. So sky's the limit. I mean, basically, we only have a few flavor concepts covered. You know, we have adobo, we have a karakare, we have a banana ketchup, we have ube. But the same way that, you know, Marvel has their cinematic universe, like Filipino <laughs> food has their own culinary universe. I'm very bullish on the condiments just because it's a faster moving category. And I think banana ketchup is not only a Filipino thing. Like there's millions of families in South Asia, Southeast Asia in Latin America that enjoy banana ketchup. And so we'll be producing the first domestically made 
clean label and uh, award-winning banana ketchup. Because a lot of folks don't know. So we have three product lines and we actually have three next awards for best new products, one for each product oh. line. Nice. We are the only brand in the history of Expo West and East to win three back-to-back Nexties. Wow. Amazing. What business or philosophical principles are most critical for you? It could be personally or it could be related to Phila Manila. This journey of entrepreneurship is is never easy. It's, it's always difficult. So I would say to, if you choose that journey, to make sure that you not just your mind, not just your heart, but your spirit as well, that everything is aligned to the brand and its purpose and its vision, right? Because if you come in it with the mindset of making money that you want to exit, that you want to you know, sell your shares or something, that you're not going to succeed because it's so draining on many levels is that you need a deeper purpose to fuel yourself through these ups and downs of, of, of this kind of journey. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now we're getting to our last question, which is, if our listeners want to try Philomanella, where can they do that? You can go to philomanella.com. We're also available on Amazon. And if you go on our website, you can see our store locator. We're available nationwide with Sprouts. We'll be launching in four regions in Whole Foods this June. And we're in some targets in the Northeast. And many other stores. Just please check out our store locator to find your nearest retailer. Well, Jake, thank you so much for joining us today. Really excited to see your success. We'll definitely follow along and excited to see you grow and launch more cool things. Thank you, Penny. Thank you, Dimitri. Thank you. This concludes our interview with Jake DeLeon from Philomanilla. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe for more episodes of the Consumer Rundown podcast and visit us at consumerrundown.com. See you next time.